All right, we continue today in the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have a Bible open to Ecclesiastes, go to Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And if you have one of the Red Pew Bibles, chapter 2 starts on page 553. And we're going to cover all of chapter 2 today, but right now I'm just going to read the last chunk of that chapter, so starting in verse 18. And then Pastor Albert will come here in a moment and, and sort of fill in the rest uh, for us. So Ecclesiastes 2, beginning in verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity." There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or, ha or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm so glad we're in such an uplifting part of the Bible that we can all enjoy together. Um, there are some terms that we looked at a little bit more closely last week, being in the Ecclesiastes 1. So if uh, we're kind of like brushing just really quickly through that today, you can listen in to uh, last week's message to catch up. I find the book of Ecclesiastes just really, really amazing in that it's a book written over 3,000 years ago, yet you read it and it's as if this author is writing it today. It's just so relevant. And the preacher, the teacher, the pundit, um, Koheleth, professor, it's all, they're all synonyms for Ecclesiastes. And this author goes down all these different roads, um, explores all these different roads just to show us that they're all ending up in these dead ends. And the writer purposely shows us how living a secular life is, is not all that great. And so when you hear the term under the sun, it's a code word for without God or leaving God out of it. So whenever we encounter that phrase, uh, that's, that's the thought behind it, that you're, that you're living life without faith in God. So he's writing that living life under the sun, that if you live this sort of life and you leave God out of it, that you'll find these universal facts to be true. What he points out is this, these undeniable truths so that we are trying to, so that we can think and, and think about and contemplate about how we're living these lives and if we have answers to the philosophical musings that he's presenting to us. I want to start out by giving us a quote by arguably one of the brightest minds alive today, um, arguably one of the brightest astrophysicists 
cosmetologist to ever live, and he wrote this book called A Brief History of Time. And here's a, a quote from it. But the reason why he wrote this book was it was his attempt to prove his thesis about the origins of life. It was his a way of showing the significance of the universe from his perspective. But then he, after writing this, he realizes that science doesn't offer satisfactory answers when it comes to answering life's deeper questions. And so then he shares a lament about it. And here's his quote. Even if there is only one possible unified theory, it is just a set of rules and equations. What is it that breathes fire into the equations and makes a universe for them to describe? That's a really, really great question. The usual approach of science of constructing a mathematical model cannot answer the questions of why there should be a universe for the model to describe. Why does the universe go to all the bother of existing? And it's another really, really great, great question, and that's Stephen Hawking that uh, wrote that. So the brightest minds can construct all the mathematical models, establish all the sets of rules and equations within science, but math and science can't answer where that fire comes from, what, what breathes life into the universe. Math and science can't answer that. Why does the universe go to all the bother of existing? And we can have all of this knowledge but why? We can create the horn on a car, but why? <laughs> we have so many answers, right, as to how the universe came into being. God's so good. <laughs> I was just saying, God, come on, man, come on. Just say, like, so good. So many people believe Knowledge is the answer, right? You hear this all the time. You know, if, if only education, if everyone's educated, if everyone just knew. But knowledge doesn't satisfy that desire for deeper meaning. Because if it was that simple as knowledge is the answer to everything, education is the answer to everything, we shouldn't have the problems we have with addiction. Because everybody knows that smoking is hazardous to your health. Everybody knows that, right? Everybody knows what drugs can do to your body. Everybody knows about sexually transmitted diseases. We have a ton of knowledge, a lot of it, more than we've ever had in the existence of humankind. We're just not addressing the deeper issues. Would we do what we do to ourselves? And what I'm thinking about is the righteousness versus unrighteousness. Would we do what we do to one another, and I'm thinking the injustice versus the justice part of life, if we truly knew why we were here, if we truly knew what our purpose is being here, if we truly knew who put us here? See, knowledge isn't the ultimate answer, because if it was, we would have figured this out being on this earth for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Because we can figure out that we can land a someone on the moon in the time span that we've existed here. But we haven't figured out how to tell the truth. Which then makes me wonder if we really did land on the moon because we can't tell the truth. So, I don't know. I don't know. 
but we have all the math to figure out flight patterns. And I mean, have you guys seen Hidden Figures? It's amazing, all the mathematicians at work and stuff like that. that we figured all of that out, and we figured out how to talk to somebody on the other side of the planet. My daughter, every uh, Sunday night, she, um, you know, we don't have pen pals anymore because we don't use pens and paper anymore. Um, so they do FaceTime. So she has this friend in Shanghai that um, they, they have these three, four-hour conversations that only 12-year-old girls can have. And so they flip-flop. So every half hour, they're like, okay, we're going to speak Chinese now. And then they, they speak Chinese. And then, all right, we're going to speak English now. And then they, so, because they're working on both, on each other's language skills. And so they're talking about all this stuff. And so my wife, like, listens in on the English part. And then she leaves when the Chinese part comes out. And then she sends me in. And then, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's all good. I just make up stories and tell my wife, oh my gosh, you can't believe what they're talking about. And, <laughs> But we haven't figured out how to speak to a neighbor we're having problems with in terms of cutting the tree down or not, or building the fence. Like, like we haven't figured that out. We haven't figured out speaking to every person in the church that we've probably not spoken to every person in the church because they're different. And we've figured out how to trade with countries on the other side of the world, but we haven't figured out how to share what we have in terms of resources within our own country, within our own communities. And that technology and the science, they've evolved and they've changed, but I can't say so much for people's hearts and their character. See, knowledge doesn't do that. It's something deeper that gives us meaning. It's something beyond the secular, beyond the science that breathes fire into the universe. In chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, Koheleth addresses knowledge and wisdom and that they lack answers to the deeper questions of life, that just knowing about something is not enough. And yes, we do need to learn and we need to make known things of importance known to everybody else and righteousness and justice are, are those things that we need to continue learning about. But knowledge itself is not enough. Knowledge does not bring about change. And if knowledge did that, then why don't our universities usher in peace? Because these places of higher learning have a ton of knowledge. Now, please don't get me wrong. I appreciate very much universities. I appreciate even more the students in those universities because university students historically, have brought about a lot of change to our country, to our culture, and around the world. There's a passionate indignation inside of university students, young people, about injustice that they can rally around and revolt and rebel. But let's also be honest about the actions and the words behind those things because there's a simple question that begs to be answered is, then where's the peace? And you have all these actions and you have all these words, but then where's the actual peace? On July 9th, 1955, um, the Russell Einstein Manifesto was issued by some of the world's brightest minds all over the world. So in Europe and in America and Japan, they came up and they wrote this. And, 
And what the manifesto points to <clears throat> are the threats presented by nuclear weapons. And they appeal to world leaders to pursue peaceful resolutions whenever global conflicts arise. And so this group obviously involves Albert Einstein, Russell Einstein manifesto. And this group of really, really bright people wrote this. We have found that the men who know the most are the most gloomy. Amen. That is so true. Your professors, like, aren't they just gloomy people? <laughs> and then after pointing out all that knowledge that that's not the answer to life's deepest questions, Ecclesiastes then moves into chapter 2 into a, a, a different realm because he's saying, like, we know that knowledge and, and wisdom's not the answer, so let's move on to hedonism. Let's move on to pleasure. Let's move on to things that make us feel good. And whatever makes us feel good, that's right. Because obviously it's not in the head, so it has to be in the heart. It has to be about feelings. Because wisdom and knowledge aren't the answers. So if it feels good, then let's do it. If it feels good, it can't be wrong. It, maybe life is all about feeling good. So verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold... This also was vanity. Vanity is synonymous with meaninglessness, with emptiness. So escapism through pleasure, this completely self-absorbed life that totally leaves God out of it, right? So still under the sun, leaving God out of it, where life is all about what feels good. And so he goes into this first feeling or emotion. I said of laughter. It is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? Now keep in mind this thought is gathered from the life of King Solomon who, who had all the laughter and all the pleasure anyone could ever want. He threw the party of parties. He was entertained like no other person. He had fun like no one else could have because he was king. He had endless amounts of resources and networks and everything that he ever could have wanted he can have. And at the end of it, he's saying, what use is it? Now keep in mind, this is not a theory for him. This is, this is his life. He lived this. He, he lived a life full of laughter, full of pleasure. And here's where he landed. What use is it? Now we have this saying in our culture that laughter is the best medicine. Now if that's true, then why do we find that so many comedians struggle with depression and loneliness and unhappiness? And why do, are clowns, why do they look so evil? Like, you know, <laughs> I, if, <laughs> clowns are messed up. Like, I don't, I don't get that at all. I, I don't get it. But there are a ton of stories about this, right? There are a ton of stories about comedians who take their life or who struggle with depression, who struggle with addictions, who have all these different things. And so I, I, I just think about our, our Bay Area's, one of our Bay Area finest, right, Robin Williams, who took his life not too long ago. And so if that's really the answer, laughter, why is that? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Moves on from laughter to substance, wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So wine, a substance that is commonly used for escapism, um, you, that's, that's where the whole 
idea of happy hour came from. Like you're you're done with work. Hey, let's go. Like let's let's just forget about all this stuff and let's let's kind of like numb ourselves a little bit. Let's escape a little bit. Now the Bible is not against the consumption of wine at all. Jesus made water into wine at the wedding feast. He used it as a drink to celebrate different feasts. The Passover feast, they used wine. Verse 3 is addressing those who look at wine to do something for them, to, to alter their mindset, to help them numb themselves, to, to use as an anesthetic. So we go from like comedy club circus to, to bar, and there's nothing wrong with those places as long as we realize that those places don't bring the ultimate fulfillment. It's not long-lasting satisfaction that they offer us. So what about the things that, that are longer-lasting? What if it's not just like a couple hours at a comedy club or, or getting entertained or at the bar or whatever? What about if it's like these lifelong things that we're about, like lifelong projects? Then how about that? Those things make us feel good. Verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted them and in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So he had all this stuff going on for him. This is a very, very accomplished person, more so than probably any of us even know. So successful in everything that he worked on. He built houses and vineyards and gardens and parks and pools. It's not just a simple home remodel where he's just doing, redoing the bathroom. I mean, he's doing a lot of stuff. This is beyond millionaire stuff. This is multi-billionaire stuff that this, is, this guy's doing. And it's all this material stuff. And he's like... It's meaningless. It's vanity. Even the non-material stuff is not satisfying me. All the sense of accomplishment and all the pride, and all that, it's not satisfying me. Verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the, the, the delight of the sons of men. He had all these people who served him, who he had influence over and power over, but still vanity, meaningless, not satisfying. All the drinks he can possibly want, all the sex he can possibly want, all the entertainment he can possibly want, empty. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun, again, code language. There was nothing to be gained by leaving God out of it. He filled every delight, every indulgence that he can possibly have. He, he didn't deny himself of anything that he ever wanted. And if these things that so many people want and desire are the answers to fulfillment and a flourishing life, then why the emptiness? Koheleth found it to be empty, a vanity, a striving after win. And again, this is his firsthand experience. 
Now, I, I never owned these sorts of things. I've never had all this sort of stuff to experience this firsthand, but I've experienced it in the terms of being around the people that uh, I've worked with. So prior to the ministry life, I, I did have the opportunity to hang out with a lot of wealthy people. Some of these wealthy people had jets, private jets. Now, a private aircraft, a, a jet is, that's a whole new class of rich. That's, that's a whole new class of rich. Like sometimes we can think of cars or whatever and like, oh yeah, it's a Bentley or it's a Maybach or it's a whatever, that guy's rich. Those cars don't mean a thing when you throw a yacht into it or when you throw a jet into it. It's a whole different realm. And so these people did have buildings named after them. They did have parks named after them. These are people who owned multiple homes all throughout the world. Many who didn't withhold any indulgence from themselves, which is probably why most of them couldn't stay in committed relationships. It's just moving on from one thing to another, and they can't say that they don't have any struggle with the meaning of life because they did, and yet we had a lot of laughs, and there were a lot of pleasures being experienced. But, but as soon as the plane landed and we get off the jet and we re-enter into that treadmill of life under the sun. It was empty. It is the same. Does what we have satisfy the deepest longings in our heart? Are we finding life's meaning through knowledge and laughter and pleasure? See, it's, it's simply not happening because if it was, Silicon Valley would be the happiest place on earth, not Disneyland. Like, <laughs> We, we have thousands of years of history. When you're looking through the Roman Empire or you're looking at different civilizations of great wealth and power, and yet they come and fall. They rise and fall. They have their own different experiences of turmoil and toil. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly for what can the man do who comes after the king. Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is a vanity. For the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long, gone, been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity." So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is a vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? And after all that hard work, 
everything you accumulated, decades of work, doesn't go with you to the grave. You leave it to somebody else, somewhere else. It, it all goes elsewhere. And to the extent you can set up your trust or your will or whatever you have set up, sometimes you miss things and it doesn't turn out the way you want it to turn out. For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. It's good to work. It's good to enjoy these things. This also I saw is from the hand of God. It's good to enjoy this stuff when it's not under the sun. But under the sun, it's, it's a vanity. It's an emptiness. There is nothing better than that he should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. It's from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, the one under the sun, the one that left God out of it, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after when this is just leaving that capsule we talked about last week that under the sun getting from under the under the sun being apart from god and when that happens you really have nothing because who supplied all of it in the first place jesus talks about what we build our lives upon in in matthew chapter 7 gospel of matthew starting verse 24 in chapter 7 everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And a great was that fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. What Jesus said in Matthew, what Koheleth wrote in Ecclesiastes, is definitely not anti-knowledge, anti-pleasure, anti-laughter, anti-wine, anti-works. It's nothing like that. It's just that if we attain all those things under the sun, leaving God out of it, then what do you really have? But if you have God in it, you can enjoy these things to the fullest. They're great. They're gifts from him. It's without him, it's built on sand. It eventually crumbles. With him, it's built upon him. It lasts. So that knowledge, that pleasure, that laughter, that work, it won't satisfy our deepest longings. They don't answer life's most important questions or address the meaning of life. They don't tell us why we're here. They don't breathe fire into the universe. But God, he does give that infinite value. He gives that meaning and with him that knowledge that we gain, the, the pleasures we experience, the laughter that we have, the, the work that we do, they all have their proper place and they are really, really good. God created those things. He, he wants us to experience those things. But under the sun, leaving God out of it, there's just no lasting value to it. That, that knowledge that you do have, the pleasure, the work, laughter, it all fades with you. It's just so temporary. It's so limited. And the same fate overtakes everyone. 
without God, we seek satisfaction, but we're never able to be fully satisfied. There's, there's always more to accomplish, more to gain. There's always better things. And after that initial high fades of attaining whatever you were shooting for, we're then left empty again, only to look to fill it once again. And the only lasting pleasure and treasure that we can have is found in God. Life is so beautiful with God. With God. Without God, under the sun. It's trivial. You're just kind of in the hamster race. You're trying to create meaning within this capsule that you can't ever find it unless you leave it. You got to leave the capsule in order to find the meaning. So other than that, we're, we're trying to find meaning for ourselves. We're trying to find significance for ourselves. The Apostle Paul wrote one of his disciples, Timothy, this, um, and it summarizes Ecclesiastes 2 and, and actually chapter 1 also. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the, from the faith. Grace be with you. Knowledge, treasures, pleasures, laughter, wealth. Those things are not inherently bad. Those things are good. Those things are things that God gave to us to enjoy, but, but the thing is, is that sin has robbed all of those things of the deeper meaning, of their proper place. And so we think of death, which is the wage of sin is death, that death is the great equalizer for all of us, and, and any lasting meaning that you and I can gain from pleasures, treasures, laughter, wine, anything else, is lost in death. It's gone. And without God, there's no possible way to have the significance, to have the lasting meaning in those things that we place value in because they're temporary, they're gone. Where does, what good is it if you don't have everlasting life? If you don't have an abundant life beyond the grave, then what good is any of that other stuff? And what we as people have been struggling with since our existence is placing ourselves in the place of God. We've fooled ourselves into believing that we are in control, that destiny is in our hands, that we choose whatever we want to choose to do or not to do, that we do whatever we want to vote for, that the majority rules, that it's all these sorts of things. Now, if anyone believes that, we are living in our first world privilege because a Syrian refugee a Sudanese refugee does not believe that for a second. And what we really need to do in our Western world is to get rid of our first world arrogance. To think that we can control everything. That we are, we can put the path of our destiny before us. That we have choices and we can do all these sorts of things. Here's an awesome quote by Albert Einstein. And it's not because his name's Albert. <laughs> The difference between stupidity and genius 
is that genius has its limits. <laughs> and we're in a world that we think we have no limits. We think we're not bound by anything. And that's been the case since Genesis. We've wanted to, wanted to be God. We want to be God. And we've placed ourselves in the place of pretending to be God. To define morality. To define what, what is valuable and what is not valuable. To define what is equality and what is not equality. What is dignity and what is not. And this is no surprise to God that we would want to do this. That we would want to play his role. In Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah wrote, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So we've just, we, we go our own way. We think that we're our own God. We, we run our own lives. We do what we want to do. And God, the real God, sees all of this and he wants to rescue us from it. And that continues on to the second part of Isaiah 53, 6. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Because we've all gone astray, he's had to come up with this plan, and, it, and here it was, or here it is. That our rebellion against God has really, really grave consequences, and that sin kills everything good that God had intended for good. It separates us from God and from each other, and we can't get rid of this nature on our own. But God can transform us. He can't overlook the sin that is in us, but he can transform it and he can redeem it. He can change the situation and that he can pay for those consequences himself. And so he steps into that abyss of separation and looks to rescue us from it. He steps into that under the sun. He steps into that capsule, into that place where people have left him out of it, under the sun, and he chooses to enter into it and to make a way out of it for us. And that sin, that replacement, it costs his life because that's what it costs. The wages of sin is death. So he pays for that with his own life. Because if you and I paid for it, then there's nothing to experience after the death. But he resurrects, which we were going to talk about in a few weeks in Easter. He overcomes death. Jesus said in John chapter 10, starting in verse 9, I am the door. And so I'm picturing that capsule. There's the door that Jesus kind of makes as that carpenter. He's, he's making that doorway. If anyone enters by me out of that capsule, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You can experience life to the fullest inside the capsule or outside of it with God. If you're out under the sun, from under the sun, you can experience to the fullest. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Enjoy the treasures. Enjoy the, the pleasures. Enjoy the laughter. Enjoy all those things. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just stop believing that you're God and that you make the calls and that you can decide whatever's right and whatever's wrong. It's God who decides those things, not you and me. See, Jesus is not inviting us into religion. He's inviting us into life, an abundant life, to receive the, the gift from God 
of true abundant life. But let's not be fooled. You can't receive it without Jesus who made the doorway. You can't receive that. He's the door whereby people can enter into his kingdom. And Jesus stepped away from this glorious, majestic throne into our world under the sun, into our toil to provide us a a doorway out of it. And so will you receive that gift? To, To lay down living this life inside this hamster wheel that you can never get off of. Or accept it where you can experience an abundant life. And you can receive this today. You can receive this by faith, to believe by faith that Jesus did provide that way. That he did die for you to pay your debt. That the sin that separates you from God, he's gotten rid of that, that he's reconciled you to God. He's restored a relationship that God had intended to be good all along, to believe that he's your rescuer, to believe that he saved you from that. Let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful for that grand divine plan of redemption. It's still a mystery to us, and yet... um, There is no question about the love and the grace and the mercy that is present there. That it does breathe fire into the universe. That it's not simply just mechanical and mathematical and scientific, but that there is something more. And so, God, I I pray that as we increase in knowledge and as we have these feelings that it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't stop at Ecclesiastes 1 and Ecclesiastes 2, God, but that we are truly transformed because of your presence in our life. And we ask by faith for those who don't know you, God, that they would move in that direction, that their posture would move into looking towards you. And we ask, God, for open hearts, for open minds to happen. We ask for a sensitivity on our church's part not to be judgmental, not to um, say the wrong things or do the wrong things, but that we would be patient and let you do your work, Holy Spirit. God, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for these people here. I pray that they would experience your presence and your love for them in Jesus' name. Amen.